Welcome to Two Rivers Church, fam. Uh, we are a family here as well, and so we're uh, glad to have uh, you here with us this morning. Would you turn in your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 5? Uh, our passage will be Mark 5, 1 to 20 this morning from bondage uh, to mission. We talked about this last week at the end of Mark chapter 4. Uh, storms that come into our lives are literal. Storms that come into our lives are literal. It's a story of the end of Mark chapter 4. It will uh, be a storm again this morning at the beginning of Mark uh, 5. And the question that we asked last week and the question that I want to I invite you to continue to consider and ask yourself as we engage uh, these literal storms that come into people's lives, as we engage these stories in the ministry of Jesus is this, how do we survive the real storms, the real actual hard storms of our lives? How do we survive those? How do we engage those and not jettison our faith and our hope in the process? When they come, not if they come, but when they come, some of us in this room, we've had storms, we've walked through storms, some of us are in storms, all of us will have storms in the future. The question that we talked about last week, I wanna keep that question before you this morning, how do we, how do you engage the storms in your life without jettisoning your faith and your hope in God? Last week, Mark 4, a fierce windstorm on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, the, whole ch the whole chapter of Mark 4 is one day, many parables. Jesus, if you remember, is on the boat on the western shore on the Sea of Galilee. The multitudes of people are on the hillside on the western shore. He has been taken out uh, from the people on a boat lest they crush him, and he is preaching parables to all of the masses of the people. At the end of the day, when it's dark, he says to his disciples, hey, let's go over and cross to the other side. They're crossing over the windstorm of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, this windstorm, this literal storm, it spun out the disciples' faith. It spun them out in fear and anxiety to the degree that they awakened Jesus who was sleeping on the back of the boat with an, an indignant question, an, an angry, indignant question. They're in the middle of the sea and they asked Jesus, if you remember last week, do you not care that we are perishing? Jesus gets up, he quiets the storm. It's a rebuke. If you remember, he said, peace be still, which is the same rebuke that he gave uh, the demonic spirits in Mark chapter one. It's the same rebuke that he gave the demonic spirits in Mark chapter three. It's the same rebuke that he gives the demonic storm, perhaps, in Mark chapter four. Peace be still. And then he calms the storm, and then he asks the disciples two questions. They asked him one question, do you not care that we're perishing? And then he responds by calming the storm and then he asks them two questions and they are these, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? You see, when our faith wanes, our fear increases. When our faith in God in the midst of the storm wanes, our fear, our anxiety, our stress, our thoughts that God must not care about us increases. And so Jesus asks them those two questions, why are you so afraid? Do you have no faith? These two questions certainly had to do with that fierce windstorm that they had just, had just been through. But I also think, if you'll go with me here, I think that these two questions that Jesus asked the disciples also had a lot to do with the storm that had been brewing in their minds since Jesus said to them, hey guys, let's go across to the other side. 
see the other side of the lake. We would understand it this way, the other side of the tracks. They're wondering, the the first storm that encountered their minds before the fierce windstorm was in their minds when Jesus told them on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, hey, we're gonna go across to the other side, to the eastern shore, across to the other side. We would understand it this way. We're going across the tracks. We're going over there. We're going to those people. Jews didn't go across from the western shore to the eastern shore. Going on the other side for a Jew was a storm. They were headed to the Decapolis, to the country of the Gerasenes was not where they wanted to believe. Let me help you understand why this this is so. This slide up here, Mediterranean Sea, you can see to the west, Sea of Galilee at the top. All of the red cities are cities of Israel. All of the black cities are the 10 cities of the Decapolis. Uh, Deca, the Greek word for 10. Uh, Polis, the Greek word for cities. The Decapolis, the region, the countries of the 10 cities. They were pagan Greek cities. They had been pagan Greek cities for centuries and centuries. Pompey the Great, the Roman Pompey the Great came in 63 BC and overtook the whole area. So now the whole area was Greco-Roman and it represented everything that a devout Jew despised. Gentiles, Gentiles over there on the other side of the tracks represented polytheism, not monotheism, but polytheism, sexual debauchery, Roman oppression. No, no Jew wanted to go across to the other side, yet Jesus said, we're going to the other side. Every story that we've encountered so far in this journey through the Gospel of Mark has been Jesus responding to the needs of people that were being brought to him. We think about the paralytic and the four friends, and they bring the paralytic to Jesus who was teaching in Peter's, um, Peter's house. He's responding to needs. Uh, people are bringing uh, people with demonic spirits to Jesus, and he's responding to needs. Mark chapter 5 is the first time in Mark's Gospel that Jesus is going on the offensive, He is going on the offensive on a rescue mission. And I believe, I believe that he has one really broken man in mind. Mark 5, another literal storm to calm for Jesus that had been raging in a man's story and in his soul for quite some time. Jesus is going on a rescue mission on the other side of the tracks. Jesus, the Jewish rabbi, is going to Decapolis and he's bringing the disciples with him. Story has become one of my favorite interactions in terms of the ministry of Jesus. Here's what I believe will jump off the page to you as we engage this story. You will see and understand in a really refreshing way, I pray, a revolutionary kind of way in your faith, the compassion of Jesus to meet people who are hurting. When everyone else is running away, when everyone else is outcasting someone because of this, that, and the other, Jesus is coming to them. The compassion, the heart of God to touch people who are hurting, who are broken. You'll see that clearly. Also, the transforming power of grace in the story, moving people from bondage to mission. The impact of compassion and grace to transform uh, someone's life radically. So uh, I'm gonna read this in sections. We're gonna just kind of chip away at it. Instead of reading all 20 verses at once, uh, we're gonna just start slowly. So read, read with me. We'll start the story, uh, Mark chapter 5. Verses one to five. Again, this is at the end of the day. 
Everything that happened in Mark 4 had already happened. It's evening. It's at night. They had just been through the storm that Jesus had calmed. They are moving from the western shore of the Sea of Galilee to the eastern shore on the Decapolis. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. And he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore. They had been trying to bind him. Many people for many, many situations had been trying to bind him, but they couldn't bind him anymore, not even with a chain. They tried to chain him up. They couldn't chain him anymore for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him and night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out, cutting himself with stones. Jesus, Jewish rabbi, gets out of the boat on the other side of the tracks, Decapolis, gets out of the boat, touches his feet out of the boat in Decapolis because he was on a rescue mission. Now, the story doesn't say when we read it that the disciples also got out of the boat. Perhaps they did, perhaps they didn't. We don't know because Mark doesn't tell us. I don't think they got out of the boat. Jesus got out of the boat right away. He was on a rescue mission. But it doesn't say that the disciples got out of the boat. Think about this. They pulled their boats up at night in a graveyard. Who likes to go to a graveyard at night, right? I mean, we think about the Levitical law code for Jewish people says this, you must not enter a place where there is a dead body. This man lived among the tombs. Think about how quiet it is at night. You could hear the gravel of the sea as a boat, the wooden boat comes up on the sea. Maybe you could hear this man howling and crying on the other side, on the western shore. One of the things that I realized this summer when I was there in Israel and I saw all these things with my own eyes was that the Sea of Galilee, I mean, uh, the Dead Sea was a little smaller than I thought it would, would be. But the Sea of, or let me say this, the, sea, the Dead Sea was bigger than I thought it would be. But the Sea of Galilee was actually smaller. So you can stand on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee and clearly see over there. And at night when it's quiet, I bet you you can hear pretty clearly somebody howling from the other side. I think they had been hearing this guy for quite some time. I don't think they got out of the boat. Jesus got out of the boat. As soon as the boat lands, they see a strong, physically strong and enraged, a naked, bleeding man running to them. I don't think they got out of the boat. Would you have gotten out of the boat? I don't think they got out of the boat. Jesus gets out of the boat because he's on a rescue mission. We're told three specific things about this guy that later in the story you'll hear his named Legion or is called Legion. The first thing that we know about him is that he lives among the tombs, which tells us he's homeless. It tells us he's alone. It tells us he's been abused. They were trying to shackle him and he wrenches the shackles off and when they try to do it. He, he's been physically abused by people. He's isolated and he is angry. He is so angry. 
Have you ever felt so angry at injustice in your life? At an injustice that has occurred in your life or in someone's life that you know and love? And just the anger is down deep in your soul. Being, maybe being, I've been misunderstood. I've been betrayed. I've been taken advantage of. Maybe that's part of your story. Maybe you can relate to the anger in this man more so than others of us in the room could. Have you ever cried out in fear and rage? Has it ever come out of you? Have you ever, have you ever heard it come out of someone else? This man lives among the tombs. He's homeless and he's angry. To fill this story, to feel it a bit, a bit more, to kind of understand it a bit more and not just glance right over this man's story, his brokenness, his anger, his fear, his rage. Hear, hear a bit of Nate's testimony. I put holes in the walls with both of my fists till they bleed. You might get a glimpse of how I cope with all this anger in me because I put my fist through walls until they bleed. So you might understand how angry I am when you see the blood on my hands because of everything that I punch because I'm so angry. Physically abused. Now, that's the room that I don't want to be in. That picture ain't blurry at all. I just don't want to see it. Something that I've learned about rage is that it's connected to fear. Oftentimes I think we think rage is connected to anger, but I've understood and come to understand that rage is more connected to fear. And so certainly in the story, this man is angry, he's rageful, but don't lose sight of the fact that he's afraid. And he's probably been afraid for a really, really long time. Something I've learned about anger, anger is a secondary emotion. There's always something more vulnerable, more tender underneath our anger. Most of us guys feel pretty comfortable with anger, but we're not as comfortable with talking about our loneliness, our sadness, our hurt, our longings. Certainly this man was angry, but don't miss his loneliness. Don't miss his sadness. Don't miss the hurt in his story as well. Jesus was not missing any of those pieces of his story. He lives among the tombs. Also, chains can't bind him. He's so physically strong that people can't bind him, which begs the question, uh, why were they trying to bind him? Why were the people in his country literally trying to shackle him? Because they were afraid of him. And we try to control that which we are afraid of. From people in his country, they have outcasted him, they have rejected him, and they tr have tried to control him. You are cast out and we are trying to keep you out. But the chains can't bind him. And night and day, third thing, night and day, he is crying out. It's interesting, if you think about the story for just a second, he wasn't physically bound to shackles and chains in that graveyard. Why did he stay there? Like physically, he didn't have to be there, but he stayed there. And I think here's the reason why he stayed there. He had broken free from their physical chains, but their chains of shame were still shackling him. Their chains of shame, his isolation. He had nowhere else to go. Even though he wasn't physically restrained, his soul, his emotion was restrained. He cuts himself with rocks. He's a cutter. He's a cutter because sometimes when you're hurting so badly in terms of your emotion 
and your loneliness and your isolation and your abuse and your betrayal, sometimes when you cut, um, the physical pain is a bit of a relief from the emotional pain. This guy's a cutter. He screams and cries and echoes throughout the town and across the lake. Who is Jesus to outcast? People who, rageful people that put their fists through walls because they're so angry. They cut themselves. They howl at night. Who is Jesus? He goes and he finds them. He leaves the 99. Stay with me. Find the one. He's on a rescue mission. When everyone else has cast him out, when all the disciples are a storm in their minds, like we can't go to Decapolis, Jesus is like, oh, we're going to Decapolis because I'm going to set somebody free today. To the shame, to the rejected, to the unstable, to the full of rage, let us go across the lake to the Eastern shore, to Decapolis, to the Gentiles, to the Greco-Roman polytheism, pagan people who don't worship the one true God. We're going there because people there need to know about God. And they need to know about my forgiveness and my grace and my freedom. I believe Jesus was coming for this man all along. I don't think it surprised him. I think Jesus was coming for this man from the very beginning when he said, let's go across to the other side. Verse six. And when this man, this rageful, shame-bound in shackles, fearful, lonely, isolated man, When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he was saying, for Jesus was saying, Jesus gets out of the boat, starts ministering compassion right away. And he says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. He had just told the storm, peace be still. He had cast out the demons in Mark 1, peace be still. He did it in Mark 3. Now he's doing it in Mark 5. Come out of this man. He's ministering freedom and compassion to this man who was bound by the lies of the enemy. Come out of this man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Jesus didn't get back in the boat when this man was charging, when he encountered this guy. He didn't say, danger ahead, guys, push the boat back into the sea. We're going back to the safety of the Western. We're going back to Capernaum. He said, we're staying right here. God initiates church with the broken world always. God enters the chaos of the brokenness and the suffering of people's lives always. The gospels are full The gospels are full of stories of Jesus entering into the pain and the loneliness and the darkness of people's lives. We're celebrating Christmas. God put skin on and moved into our neighborhood so that we could behold the light of God in our darkness, John chapter one. In the story in Mark five, Jesus begins ministering compassion and grace and restoration immediately. He's not condemning He's not condemning, he's not judging. He's kind, he's gentle, he's relational. Why do I say he's relational? Because the first thing out of Jesus's mouth to this man was a question. And here's the question, not condemning, not judging, kind, gentle, relational. Mark 5, 9, he says, what's your name? What's your name? 
What's your name? Such a kind, gentle, relational thing to do. What is your name? I'm sure that this man had been called all sorts of names. Can you imagine the names that he had been called in his life? Perhaps some of the kinder names he had been called are names like lunatic, crazy, psycho, whatever. But I'm sure the names were much worse than those things. And the response, the response was this. My name is Legion, for we are many. A legion in the Roman army was 6,000 soldiers. We are legion, for we are many. Here's the truth. He doesn't even know his name. He's so under the shackles of shame and the lies of the enemy that he had forgotten his name. He had been overtaken by lies. Let's pause in this story for just a minute. Anytime when you're reading the scriptures, and you are reading something that the enemy is saying to someone, always know it's deception and it's a lie. Jesus said in John chapter eight that the enemy is the father of lies. So the legion, the the enemy is saying we are legion for we are many. The enemy loves to exaggerate, to make things bigger than they really are so that you'll feel more overwhelmed, more stressed, more anxious because when our fear increases, sometimes, oftentimes, our faith decreases. So the enemy wants to tell you lies to exaggerate the struggle, to exaggerate whatever it is you're going through so that you feel more overwhelmed. Legion, maybe it was Ocho. It was eight. Maybe Ocho Cinco, any NFL guy? Ocho Cinco, anybody, anybody? Who knows how many was in there, but he said Legion, which is 6,000. It's interesting, you'll see the numbers in the next bit of the story when we read what happens next. My name is Legion 6,000. Let's keep reading in verse 11. Now a great herd of pigs. This is when the story gets pretty awesome and weird, fun, interesting, some of those words. Now there was a great herd of pigs that were feeding there on the hillside. Pause. Eastern shore, Gentile, they'll eat pigs all day long. Western shore, Jews, no pigs. You with me? They're on the other side of the tracks. Just throwing it out there, making sure you're not missing that piece. By the way, pause, here we go. Archaeological digs on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee have never turned up pig bones. Guess what they've turned up on the eastern shore? Bacon. (laughs) Bones of bacon. Okay, here we go. Great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him saying, beg Jesus, saying, send us out into the pigs. Let us enter the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission to enter the pigs. And the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about, what's the word in your Bible if you're reading with me? What does it say? 2,000. What's a legion? How many is a legion? 6,000. Enemy always exaggerates. Lies, father of lies, lies, lies. Now, I don't know how this works necessarily, but I'm just saying the math doesn't add up between 6,000 and 2,000. The enemy is always gonna deceive you to think that it's worse than it is, more than it is, so that you'll be more afraid so that your faith will wane. Are y'all with me in that? 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. And the herdsmen of the pigs, they fled, and they told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what, what had happened. 
And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described it to them, what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Okay, real talk. Kind of weird, kind of funny. Demons into pigs, 2,000, that whole saying. They're running off of cliffs. You know, I'm in, I'm in Israel this summer, and it's the first moment that I see the Sea of Galilee, and I'm thinking about uh, Jesus walking on the water, and I'm thinking about the storm, and I'm thinking about all these stories that I've read all these years of my life on the Sea of Galilee, two-thirds of Jesus' ministry. And right when you're standing on the western shore of the Sea of Galilee, a clear day, you can easily see across the sea. Again, the lake isn't quite as big as I thought it was, and you can see to the eastern shore. This is Decapolis. This is from, the, this is from Capernaum. And you can easily see, and my first thought when I look across the Sea of Galilee this summer is like, oh, yeah, the pigs, of course, the ridge lines are right there on the sea. It makes sense. It's true. It's right there. Ridges right on the sea. The tragedy, though, in this story is not the lost pigs. It's the lost people. Now, we don't know exactly where this took place. Somewhere on that eastern shore. But wherever it took place that the legion went into the pigs and they ran off to their deaths, uh, that was a lot of lost bacon. That really was. A lot of lost bacon. I got better laughs than that in the first service because, you know, the bacon joke has already been done in the second. But, hey, it was in my notes, so I had to say it. I had to say it. Uh, what's happening here is that they're missing out on seeing the radically transformed life. All along, sitting right there in front of them is who they called Legion. But he wasn't raging. He wasn't cutting himself anymore. He was sitting there in his right mind. They're so focused on the natural, which can be so easy for us. He, they become so focused on the natural, they lose sight of the supernatural things of God that are happening literally right in front of them. Verse 15 says, he was clothed. Who gave him the clothes? Ever thought about that before? The disciples were in the boat. Jesus is out of the boat. Jesus ministers to him. It's this radical story of healing. I think, I think that Jesus told the disciples, get him some clothes. Shame is done in this man's life. And I don't know where the clothes came from. Perhaps off of their own backs to clothe this brother so that he wouldn't feel shame in his nakedness anymore. You see, ministry to the broken, certainly it includes the spiritual, it includes the relational, it includes the emotional, but it also includes the physical. Especially when you are ministering to people like this man. Sometimes we could go to someone who is really broken like this man and say, God really loves you, but you know how they're gonna experience God's love? Show me, show. Jesus wasn't just saying, I love you, I forgive you, you're released. He's putting clothes, literal clothes on his back. I think the disciples were called to meet his physical needs because ministry to the broken is all of those things. It's all of those things. Let's finish the story, 17 to 20. We'll finish the story. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. And as Jesus was getting into the boat, which is interesting, Jesus is invitational to all but he is not going to force himself on anyone. And so they're like, we don't want you here. And so he's getting 
back into the boat. He's not gonna push himself on anyone. Everyone is welcome to come, but I'm not gonna push myself on anyone. So he's getting back in the boat, and the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. Of course, why would he want to go and do and be with anyone else other than Jesus and those men that just ministered to him in compassion and clothed him and rescued and restored and redeemed him? But it's interesting, Jesus has a bigger purpose in mind for him. Jesus doesn't waste our stories. He doesn't waste our pain. He doesn't waste our tragedies. He uses it all for his good to the glory of God. And his purpose was different than going with Jesus in his boat. And he says, and he did not permit him to go with them, but said to him, go home to your friends. What friends? I don't know. Friends? Former friends? Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done. Go tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how the Lord has had mercy on you. Verse 20, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. Perhaps the first missionary to the Decapolis, this man, from bondage to mission. And he went and proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him from bondage to mission, the compassion and the transforming power of grace. What happened to this guy? Do we know, as Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story? I think, I think there's something in Mark chapter eight that helps us understand maybe that what happened to this guy. What did, what did his ministry, what did his mission look like? Turn over, if you have your Bibles open, turn over to Mark 8. Turn over to Mark chapter eight, and there's a story in Mark eight, and if you have your Bible open, there's always like a bolded like overview of the story. Somebody tell me what it says. Mark eight, one to eight. Jesus feeding the 4,000. Lesser known miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000, but also a miracle of Jesus feeding the 4,000. We know it wasn't 5,000 or 4,000 because they only counted the Jewish men or the men, so it was also women and children. So it wasn't just 4,000. It was probably 12,000, 15, 20,000 people when you count the women and the kids. That's what's happening in Mark chapter eight. Have you ever wondered where, that, where this took place? Where did this event take place? It says in the story that the people had been with Jesus for three days and they were hungry. So Jesus performs a miracle and he feeds the 4,000, which is more like probably 12, 16, 20,000 people. So if you have your Bibles open, look at Mark 7, 31. Mark 7, 31. Then Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of, what does it say? To Decapolis. Jesus had been ministering for three days in Decapolis. Where did 12, 15, where did... 20, 000, how did 20,000 people in Decapolis know about Jesus of Nazareth? Greco-Roman, Gentile, pagan country. Pe Jewish people never went there. How do you think they knew about Jesus? Why would they come? I'll give you a suggestion for your consideration. And he went and proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him. One life changed, influenced thousands, thousands. One changed life, 
from bondage to mission. And what a missionary that guy. I don't think he did anything special. He probably just literally went everywhere and told people that were willing to listen, let me tell you what Jesus has done for me. Let me tell you about the mercy and the compassion and the grace of God in Jesus and thousands of people, thousands of people. It's remarkable, isn't it? I believe that we have the same we, we have the same opportunity and we have the same authority. Jesus gave the disciples authority to go and preach and proclaim in the name of Jesus. He gave this man the authority. No, you're not coming with me, but I'm gonna send you back to your hometown to go and tell people and proclaim to people all that God has done for you. And he did it. And thousands of people, the next time Jesus was in their country, they came. God doesn't waste waste your story. God doesn't waste your pain. He doesn't waste what you've been through. He comes to you. He gets out of the boat over and over. He'll, he'll go across any track. He'll cross any track to find, to find you, to redeem you, to restore you, to show you his compassion and his grace. And one life, one life can be influenced for thousands we have the same opportunity because a whole lot, I don't think a lot's changed since this story. People still live in darkness and bondage. Would you agree with that? That many people, even right here, right here in our safe, protected, wealthy town of Fort Collins, Colorado, many people are still living in bondage. Many people are isolated, they're alone. And they need to see, to touch, to hear about the compassion and the grace of Jesus. Question, will you go? Will you go tell them of all that God has done for you? People are still living in bondage. Will you go to them? I'll say this. The people in the garrison country where this man was from, they were afraid of him and they tried to control him. When you go in the name of Jesus, you can't come with chains Behavior modification, religion, rules in the name of Jesus. Those are shackles on people. Chains of fear and religion, that doesn't change people. That doesn't transform people. Are you with me right now? That makes them want to live in isolation from Jesus and his church. What we need to go with is the compassion and the mercy and the relationship. What's your name? What's your name? We need to go with that approach. What's your name? People don't care what you know unless they know that you care. We need to put clothes on the backs of people, right? People don't care what you know unless they know that you care. Compassion, grace, mercy, meeting people's emotional needs, relational needs, spiritual needs, physical needs in the name of Jesus. To win a hearing, to tell them about all that Jesus has done for you. Will you go? Will you tell them? Will you show them? I know one thing. These thousands of people in Mark 8, they sure are glad that Jesus got out of that boat. And they sure are glad that that brother came and told them about Jesus. Because one life change can transform thousands. Even yours. Even mine. Let's pray. This is supernatural things, Lord, in this passage. And so I pray for each person in this room uh, that you would awaken their faith to the supernatural things of God that we wouldn't see this story through the lens of the natural, that we would see it through the lens of the supernatural 
so that when I consider my own story, that you would have purpose in my story and my pain and my struggle so that when I go tell people all that you've done for me, when I tell people about the mercy and the grace and the hope of God, that dozens, if not hundreds, if not thousands of people can be impacted by it. From bondage to mission. May it be true in our lives as well in this day in our city and in our country and in our world so that others who are living in darkness, isolated and alone, living in bondage, would know that Jesus is on a freedom mission of forgiveness to grant everyone that would come eternal life. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.